Well, welcome to Tea Time Spiritual Conversations for, with, and about women. I'm your host, Twana Henderson, and I want to remind you to take a moment and like this podcast and share it with your friends and other women in your life. Well, I am super excited about today's guest and the topic that we're going to tackle. Today's guest is Nona Jones. Nona is an international speaker, preacher, author, and the head of global faith-based partnerships at Meta, formerly known as Facebook. Uh, Previously, Nona held executive leadership roles across the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. She most recently served as secretary of the Florida Juvenile Justice Association Board of Directors and on the Georgia Statewide Human Trafficking Task Force. She is a graduate of Leadership Florida and the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program, which is a unique leadership development initiative led by President Bill Clinton and President George W. Bush. Nona and her husband lead a church together in Gainesville, Florida, and I'm so glad to see her again. Welcome to Tea Time, Nona. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad to have you. Of course, you have an impressive bio and a whole lot of accomplishments. And because of that, I'm so excited to to talk about your newly released book, which is entitled Killing Comparison, Reject the Lie, You Aren't Good Enough, and Live Confident in Who God Made You to Be. Now, we could probably spend a whole lot of time right there. Uh, (laughs) But I believe that this is an area that women may privately deal with. And so I'm really interested in, I first want to just know, where did you get the title of the book from? Good question. Um, Well, so I did not start out writing a book. Um, What happened was, you know, back in 2020, before the pandemic spun up, I had a full calendar of speaking engagements. Um, It was going to be a great year. I was going to be traveling the world speaking. I had two books coming out. And then when the pandemic happened, you know, so many events got canceled or postponed indefinitely. And one morning I uh, went on to Instagram just to respond to people's comments. And I happened to catch a glimpse of my newsfeed. And uh, I saw a post from a friend and she said she was so excited because she was going to be speaking at this huge virtual women's conference that normally met in person, but uh, would be going virtual because of the pandemic. And I saw the post and I thought, Man, that's that's really great. Well, I scrolled down a little bit more and another friend of mine made the same post that she was so excited she'd be speaking at this conference. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I scrolled down a little more and another friend <laughs> made the same announcement. Then there was another friend and another and another. And it ended up to where I knew all of the speakers. I knew the host. And I began to wonder you know, why wasn't I invited? Mm. Like, you know, they, they know me, they know I'm a speaker. Like, why wasn't I invited? Why wasn't I good enough? Why didn't I measure up? And then I clicked on their profiles. I was like, well, how many followers do they have in comparison to me? Mm. I clicked on their websites. I was like, how many other events are they speaking at in comparison to me? And I started to do all of this like comparison calculus until I heard the Holy Spirit ask Nona, why does it matter? Mm. And that question really like caused me to have to look at myself and really ask like, why does it matter that I wasn't invited? And um, I realized in that moment that comparison, it was toxic because the way that I was feeling was very discouraged. I was feeling like angry. Like I just had all these negative emotions in me. And so I realized it was toxic and 
over the course of about a year, I started to really lean into the Holy Spirit and like, Lord, show me me, like, help me understand why seeing somebody else's success makes me feel like a failure. And uh, over the course of that year, God gave me so many insights that I decided I got invited to speak at a church in South Carolina. And I decided to just share what I had learned. And I called the message killing comparison because it felt like comparison on the one hand it will kill our sense of identity. Mm. But then on the other hand, it felt like, well, we have the power to defeat it. We have the power to kill it. And so um, I preached the message and the way the room responded was so overwhelming that I realized, okay, I think there's something here. And that's when I decided to start putting it in a book. Uh, and that's what we have today. Wow. <laughs> it's a long, long answer to the question, but that's, that's where it came from. You know, that is so good because... Um, you know, that is something I think that all of us either at some, you know, time or other have, have dealt with and have had to really, you know, tackle that and, um, or mm-hmm. even not even tackle it, not even realize that we're doing that. So, mm-hmm. so what exactly is the book about? So it's about, um, tracing, because see, here's the thing. I I work in, as you said in the introduction, I work in social technology. Mm -hmm. I work for the world's largest social media company. And uh, social media is often blamed for causing insecurity. Mm -hmm. And because I work in social media and I also am in ministry, I do know that social media exposes our insecurity And social media is not the source of our insecurity. And so Killing Comparison is really about tracing back to the source. What is the thing that created a fracture in our identity so much so that um, we see another person as the measuring stick for our worthiness? Mm. So much so that we only feel good if we're better than so-and-so. Or we don't feel good if so-and-so is better, quote unquote, than us. And so one of the insights that God gave me as I was going through my own journey and doing my work is that we tend to think insecurity is a derivative of low self-esteem, but that's not true. Um, Because if that was the case, memorizing scriptures about being fearfully and wonderfully made and, you know, being a royal priesthood. And before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Memorizing those scriptures would make us secure. But that's not true. Insecurity is not a function of self-esteem. It's a question of what is your identity secured to? Mm. And if it's secured to an insecure foundation, something that is subject to another person's approval or evaluation, you're going to feel insecure. You're going to be insecure. And so ultimately the book is about tracing the source of our insecurity back to its roots so that we can get free because all of those lies that have made us believe we're not good enough are from the pit of hell. Mm -hmm. And it's time for the truth of God's word um, to cancel out those lies so we can live confident in who God created us to be. Yeah, that is so good. Um, I want to dig a little bit deeper. Because, you know, as we talk about just, you know, those those messagings that we get, the messages that we get, you know, and you said that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, you know, were you able to trace where some of those messages came um, in your life? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's 
I think it would be Proverbs 18, 21, um, that says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Mm-hmm. And when I started to really pray and ask God to show me what was going on with me, God began to take me all the way back to my earliest memories and how words that people spoke over me, how they they damaged my understanding of my worth. They damaged my understanding of my value. And if you think about it, so when when that scripture says life and death are in the power of the tongue, that word power is actually the Hebrew word yad, which means hand. And so just as a hand can, you know, use a hammer to build a house, a hand can also use a hammer to bludgeon someone to death, yeah, right? Yeah. Like the hand can be used to build up and it can be used to tear down. And so when I started to trace the the hand of the tongue that had shaped me, um, I remembered things like being called uh, ugly, um, being told that I wasn't smart. Um, early on, I think in elementary school, uh, teachers told me I had a learning disability and uh, I was told I would never be anything. Um, And so those words really fractured the foundation of my identity. And what it did is it caused me to have to look externally to try to counter those words. Mm -hmm. Like when somebody would say, you're not smart. Well, I would have to look for an example of somebody who performed even more poorly than I did academically to try to say, well, that's not true because I'm better than them. Mm. And so what happens is it creates this um, this almost like false weight system where I only have as much value as another person has less value. Mm. So that's what it did. I had to trace those words back and begin to reclaim the ground that had been um, in many ways damaged by those words. You know, that is so true. I mean, words do have power. And, you know, a lot of times we just don't realize the importance Mm -hmm. and the weight. You know, you know, when I was growing up, they would say sticks and stones break your bones or words won't hurt you. Yes, they will. Oh, yeah, they do. (laughs) They do. And we just I think we're learning now that words do have power. And I know you talk about approval filters. Um, What exactly are approval filters? And why do you think that we seek them? I think approval filters, uh, taking it back to social technology as an example, approval filters are like augmented reality. So if you go into Snapchat or you go into Instagram, uh, you can take an image and you can filter it to the point where you can change the color of it. Uh, You can maybe add some hearts on top of it. You can do all types of things to make the image more appealing to other people. An approval filter is anything that we use to try to make us more appealing to other people. And as an example, um, I have some friends who are in families that have a very particular political ideology that they don't agree with, but they will uh, use that political ideology as a filter to try to win their family's approval. They don't agree with it, but they will wear that ideology like a filter in order to try to get their approval. Physical appearance is another one. 
Academic credentials is another one. There are some people who will only go to a certain type of school because in their mind, if I go to this school, then I'll get the approval of people. And so fundamentally, what an approval filter does is it augments the reality of who we are. But here's the thing. Augmented reality doesn't change reality. It simply changes another person's experience of reality mm. because at the base of it, that image is still the same. Yeah, That person is still the same. Mm -hmm. We're just using these filters to try to make them like us more. And so that becomes dangerous because, you know, the filter that you use is the filter you have to keep using yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. in order to stay in their good graces. And that's got to take a lot of energy. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's got to take a lot of energy to do that. And yeah. I think that's why we have to, to seek to be free. Um, I love how you talk about the story of Jonathan and David. And, mm. you know, I think you're, you have a very unique perspective on that story. Um, talk to us about how, Jonathan's story really struck you? Uh, well, here's what's amazing about God. I mean, he, he just the way he does things is so perfect. It just so happened that when that whole thing went down with the, the conference and all my friends posting about speaking at it, I was studying in the book of 1 Samuel um, because normally, because I have such a full calendar of speaking engagements, I normally spend a lot of time preparing for messages. But because so many engagements had been canceled, I had a lot of free time. So I was just reading the Bible for the fun of it. And I was in 1 Samuel. I was reading about Saul and David. But then I got to, uh, I think it's 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 31, where Saul said something really interesting. What happened was, um, you know, Saul was jealous of David because David, you know, had the approval of the people. Jonathan, being Saul's son, um, was David's best friend, and Saul wanted to kill David. Well, Jonathan said to his father, like, why would you want to harm him? He's done nothing but benefit you. He was defending David. He was protecting David. Well, Saul said to Jonathan, do you not know that as long as David lives, as long as the son of Jesse lives, neither you nor your kingdom will be established? Mm -hmm. The reason why that was so powerful is because I had heard the story of Saul and David, you know, taught for years, for decades, and it was always taught that David was a threat to Saul and that Saul saw David as a threat. But if you really listen to what Saul said, David wasn't a threat to Saul. David was a threat Jonathan, to Jonathan yeah. because Saul was the king. Mm -hmm. Like he, he was already the king. He was appointed. It was Jonathan who was next in line, who was threatened. And yet... Jonathan loved David and defended David and encouraged David. He even equipped David to be more successful. Um, in the scene, I think it's in 1 Samuel chapter 18, where you know Saul and David return from battle and uh, the people are singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. The Bible says that it was at that moment that Saul began to eye David, that he became jealous of David. But three verses before that happened, Jonathan went over to David gave David his garment and his tunic and his weapons. It was like, high five, brother. <laughs> so excited for you. And I, that thing struck me mm -hmm. because I was like, man, what is, what is it about Jonathan to where, where Saul saw a threat? Jonathan saw a brother. He wasn't threatened by David at all. And then I began to read backwards. I was like, well, let me find out more about Jonathan 
And there's not a whole lot written about him, but in in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're introduced to him. Jonathan goes and uh, he basically starts a, a war between the Philistines and the Israelites by himself. He went and attacked the Philistines by himself. Um, and then in 1 Samuel 14 and 6, he takes his young armor bearer, goes by himself to another outpost of two dozen Philistines. And he says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Mm. That thing hit me because I realized when I read it, I said, you know what? The reason why Jonathan wasn't threatened by David is because he knew David was not a competition for him. Yeah, He knew that when God is for you, mm-hmm. no one can be against you. And so Jonathan didn't see David as a threat. He knew God for real. Yeah. And so he knew that he wasn't in competition with anyone. And that blessed me and frankly changed my entire perspective about comparison and insecurity and uh, seeing somebody else's win as my loss. It was like, no, you know what, what God has for me is for me. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have to worry about anybody else. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking that, that whole, that whole, uh, uh, saying that, you know, what God has for you is for you, yeah. you know, and we say that, but I don't know if we always really believe that. And I think yeah. the thing that's so interesting about Saul is, you know, a lot of times I think we walk in Saul's shoes because people um, you know, sometimes we we do have the kingdom. We do have things that God has given to us, but we don't recognize what God yeah. has given to us. And because we um, are in that place where we're not free, um, then we tend to think that someone can take from us what God has already securely given to us. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. it speaks to that, that whole idea of not being free. I know you talk about some keys to freedom and, and what you label as three, um, a three-step detox from Mm -hmm. toxic comparison. Um, What, what are those? What are, what is that process? What does that look like? Yeah. So it's uh, the three step is a recognize, reframe and release. Mm -hmm. The first step is really crucial um, in this idea that you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And so you first have to recognize when your insecurity is triggered. You know, when you see somebody achieve the thing that maybe you've been wishing for yourself and you start to think thoughts like, oh man, I could never do that. Or why do they get to do that? Or maybe you feel sad or um, even angry. Like, you know, just recognizing when that happens, we spend more energy denying insecurity than defeating insecurity. And so we have to flip that. So I think we first have to recognize it. And then we reframe uh, the thing that triggered our insecurity um, in such a way that it activates our potential. And as an example, um, you know, I have several friends who are beautiful and successful, and they're also single and praying for a husband. And I had a friend recently tell me, she said, Nona, I got to be honest, you know, every time a friend of mine announces her engagement, I'm happy for her. But then I also feel like, why couldn't it be me? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's hard. And what I encourage her and anyone in a similar situation to do is begin to reframe your thinking because the question, why can't that be me, doesn't solve the problem. Um, All it does is it creates another problem, which is seeing yourself as less than. To reframe something is to see it from a different vantage point, to change the way you see it. 
So instead of why couldn't that be me, the reframe is, wow, my singleness gives me an opportunity to help make her day amazing. Or my singleness gives me an opportunity to do some things that I probably wouldn't be able to do if I was married. And so now you see your state as a benefit as opposed to a liability. And then the last step in the detox from recognize to reframe is to release. And and this is a daily process. It's actually multiple times a day that I have to release those things that try to trigger my insecurity. I recognize it, I reframe it, and I let it go. I'm like, I'm not going to allow this lie to have residence in my heart. I'm releasing myself from it. Um, To give you a concrete example, a friend of mine released a book. uh, This was maybe a month, I don't know, about a month before mine. And uh, it just seemed like everything was going so great, you know, getting a lot of media, a lot of attention. And I heard the enemy begin to say, your book's not going to do so well. You're not going to get that attention. You know, she's going to have an incredible book release and yours is going to fail. And I heard all of that. And so what I did is I immediately went on Amazon. I found her book. I ordered the book. I went to my bedside. I put a pillow on the floor. I prayed for her. I asked God to bless her, Lord, enlarge her territory, exceed her expectations. Then when I finished praying, I sent her a text and I encouraged her and I let her know that I'm praying for her. Um, And and that helped to really guard my heart um, and release that trigger so that it didn't have power over me. So those are the three the three steps, recognize, reframe, and release. Yeah. And I think that reframing is so important because, you know, it is a process and we go through so many different things and, you know, you can know the word of God and you can know what you need to do and all that stuff. I mean, just to be honest with you, but you know, in reality, taking the whole single thing, you know, and I know a lot of single women who are successful and beautiful, all these different things. And the last thing they want to hear is, (laughs) you know, I I just need to pray for somebody else who's, who's sort of like, I've done that. Now what? But I think getting to that place where you do reframe um, the whole idea of comparison and recognizing that, you know, the season, and we don't always know how long a season is, but trusting God, I think it really does go back to really trusting him and knowing that what he does have for us is for us. And it is, it is so easy to, you know, look over there, so to speak, and, and kind of see what we think is good. And it may not even be that good, but it just, we think that it is. And instead of really just um, trusting that where he has us is where we're supposed to be. Amen. You That's know? good. That's good. I know yeah. you, um, you know, you get very transparent, you know, in the book and, and um, you talk about something that some of our listeners may not be familiar with, <laughs> which is a BBL. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so do you mind just kind of talking about that and sharing what you learned from that experience? And I'll let you tell them what it is. <laughs> Oh, of course. Of course. Well, um, so if people look at me today, you, you may not know, but uh, I lost um, about 100 at this point, 110 pounds about 10 uh, years ago wow. through, you know, eating right, working out. Um, I and I talk about it in the book how the vast majority of my life I was morbidly obese. Part of it was because of trauma. Um, I ate a lot of food to cope with physical and sexual abuse in my childhood and just kind of carried those uh, practices into adulthood. 
Um, but I, I lost the weight. I committed. And, um, you know, I was in the gym faithfully. Now, here's the thing to know about me, y'all. Um, I got my father's chest and my mom's butt. All right. So I lost all this weight. I had flat chest, flat booty. Um, I did all the, you know, squats and the donkey kicks and all that. And, you know, you're a, a personal trainer, so you get it. I did all the things for years and did not uh, increase my butt like one centimeter. So I decided... <laughs> I was like, you know what? I saw how people were getting a BBL is called a Brazilian butt lift. I saw how people were getting this procedure that would essentially, uh, it's like a fat transfer where they transfer fat to your butt and you have like this nice, you know, round booty. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get me a booty. That's what I decided. I'm going to get me a booty. And, uh, I went, I prayed to the Lord. I was like, Lord, I'm going to get this procedure. I want you to protect me. Keep me safe in the procedure. I heard the Holy spirit say, uh, if I wanted you to have a booty, I would have given you a booty. I didn't give you a booty to keep you humble. And I heard the Lord say that. And I was like, got it. Still got on the plane, flew to LA. Uh, I heard the Holy Spirit say again while I was on the plane, if I wanted you to have a booty, I would have given you a booty. I did not <laughs> give you a booty to keep you humble. Because I know the voice of God, I honestly should have just like parachuted out of the plane <laughs> Um, and saved my money. But I went through with the process and uh, the doctor told me, he said, you know, because this is a fat transfer, you know, I know you work out very intensely. You can't do that anymore because you'll burn the fat. And uh, I heard him, but I was like, oh, I'll be fine. You know, I'm not going to have a booty and an unhealthy body. So yeah, I went back to working out as vigorously as before. And uh, yeah, within six months, I burned my booty completely off. And, uh, it's, it's funny cause I, I mean, it's funny now, but I look back on it and I realize that what caused me to even go through with that is that I had secured my identity to the insecure foundation of physical appearance. Yeah. You know, as a black woman, I saw that the ideal for us was curves, which I did not have. And so that was a source of insecurity for me. Uh, went through that process, did that whole thing. And uh, liked the result uh, for a few months, and then it went away. And I had to just laugh and say, "Look, the Lord told me, don't do it." Um, which is why one of the points I make in the book is, you know what? Even what we lack has purpose. Mm -hmm. Like even our deficiencies are designed by God. God knew. Listen, being fully transparent, God knew that if I had a booty, I don't know where you I got would a be. booty now. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I do have a rear end, but it is not a booty, okay? <laughs> I mean, but hey, hey, I I don't know where I would be. I may not be having this conversation. I may be somewhere off the chain. I don't know. God knew that that's what I needed to keep myself grounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I yeah. think that you know, it, it, it may not be a BBL for people. It may be a tummy tuck. It may be a breast yeah. implant. It may be a nose uh, job. It may be whatever. But so many things, so many different things that we feel like we have to change or enhance or, or whatever because we're just looking at um, really somebody else and thinking that where we are again is not enough. Um, but I so love Second Corinthians nine and eight, which says, "And God is able to make mm. all grace overflow to you, always having all sufficiency mm -hmm. in everything, um, so that you may have abundance for every good, good deed." As we prepare to close, tell us how we can train our hearts to celebrate sufficiency instead of grieving deficiency. 
Mm, yeah, it's something that we definitely do have to be intentional about because I think there's something in the human condition. Uh, and I do believe it goes back to even the Garden of Eden, how when um, when Adam and Eve, when they broke fellowship with God, there was a part of them that we know died. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that uh, and maybe all of it that died was the the wholeness, the sense of completion that we should have when we're in relationship with God. And so I do think that we tend to look for the deficiency because that's like hardwired into our flesh. I think the way that we um, recognize the sufficiency is by placing the full weight of our identity on what God has said about us. Yeah. You know, when, when the enemy begins to say things like you're not good enough, um, look how so-and-so over there is thriving and you're struggling, like, all of that is, it's just, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from the truth, uh, which is that uh, our sufficiency is not in ourselves. It's in, it's in the grace of God. Yeah. I mean, the word of God tells us that, yeah. that his grace is sufficient for us. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to look to other people. We don't need compliments or applause or uh, surgical procedures. We don't need any of that. Even academic credentials, like we don't have to have a long, you know, uh, alphabet soup behind our name <laughs> to matter. I think that we have to just place the full weight of our identity on what God has already said about us and reflect back on that. Every time the enemy tries to speak a lie into our hearts about our worth and our value, yeah. reflect back on what God has said and reject it. No, that's not true. That is absolutely not true. And frankly, the more we stand on the truth of God, the more peace we will experience because he is peace. Yeah. And pray that he gives us a Jonathan in our lives. <laughs> yes. Yes. We so all good. need a Jonathan. We all need a Jonathan. Well, I want to ask you as we close to pray for those listeners who may be struggling with comparison. It could be that woman mm. who um, appears to have it all together on the outside, yeah. but find herself uh, never really measuring up or that daughter or granddaughter who is comparing herself to the images that she so sees on IG, on TikTok, on, yeah. on, on all of the me different media outlets and all those different things. Um, and so if you can just pray for them and just pray that God would just um, um, allow them to get to a place of freedom in him. I would love to. Yeah. I would love to. Let's pray. Um, Father, you see everyone listening to this guy and you know, our hearts, um, you know, Father, the the lies that have been spoken over us that have caused us to doubt the truth of your word, Father. Your word says that uh, before we were born, you set us apart. That means that before we were even born, we had so much worth and so much value that you decided uh, that we had a special purpose to play out in this world. Um, so I pray, God, that you will help us all to uh, believe the truth of your word. God, help us to receive the truth of who you are, that you are a good father, that you have good intentions for each of us. Um, I do pray, God, that you will connect us with a Jonathan mm -hmm. or Jonathans, mm -hmm. people, Father, who can encourage us, God, who can see the worth in us, even when we don't see it in ourselves, God, people who will defend us when we're not around, Lord. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just so grateful for the example of Jonathan. I pray that you'll connect us 
with uh, people like him and that you will help us to live out the duration of our life to the fullest yeah. of the purpose that you created us for God. Help us to, to enter into glory, um, having squeezed every ounce of potential out of our lives for your glory, not so that we're making somebody else um, jealous of us, not even so that we can prove our worth to somebody else, God, but so that you will be pleased with the way we've lived our life, God. And we do it to your glory and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Nona, thank you so much for your uh, transparency and just sharing your past struggles. I know that it has um, encourage someone who is listening. Um, you can follow Nona at www.nonajones.com and her book is available everywhere. I believe everywhere the books are sold. That's right. So to all of our listeners, I'm Tawana Henderson. I look forward to connecting with you the next time. Be blessed of the Lord. 